Hello and welcome to DQMH Podcast Episode 13. Today we have Dan Press from Prime Test Automation based out in Florida in the US. Prime Test Automation are in their 20th year of business. Dan is a co-founder of Prime Test and he's also a certified LabVIEW architect and a certified LabVIEW embedded developer. And Prime Tests are now the newest DQMH Trusted Advisor. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you, Chris. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Um, could you give us a little bit of a background about you and Prime Tests and how you came to be here? Sure, sure. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll start with me because I, I predate Prime Tests. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, so uh, I'll start with the LabVIEW side of things because that's probably most of interest. Uh, I was first exposed to LabVIEW in university uh, doing undergraduate research. Uh, this is all the way back in 1995. Um, so LabVIEW had uh, a pretty good capability, not, not quite what it is now, um, but we made do. And uh, I've just been using it ever since. Uh, once, once I got into it and realized all of the things that I could do. Uh, for example, in, in the undergraduate research we were doing, we were actually using Vision, even back then. Uh, awesome. GPIB, uh, DAC, motion control, almost the entire capability, suite of capabilities that LabVIEW had to offer at the time. Uh, so I kind of got thrown in the deep end. I got paired up with a grad student um, and uh, we were working on this instrument. Um, measuring the adhesive interaction between polymers and live tissue. And uh, it was just a great experience. And I just, yeah. that came through so loudly on my experience when I went to write up my resume and look for uh, a job after graduation, uh, that that's what ended up landing me a job in uh, a National Instruments Alliance member company out in California um, called mm -hmm. B Squared Technology. Uh, that company's not around anymore, but it was uh, it was back then a fun place to be. Uh, I'd grown up on the East Coast of the U.S. my whole life, so I was excited to experience something different um, and get a taste of that California kind of vibe um, <laughs> with all of that comes along with that. Uh, you know, the, 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 the technology that was going on out there, um, I got to meet some great people, connect with some really uh, amazing people in the community. Uh, I met Jim Kring out there. Uh, he might be familiar to everyone who would listen to this. Yes. And if not, he should be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, he's a JKI software. So uh, if you've got the OpenG toolkit uh, mm -hmm. installed or any of or the VI package manager, which comes with LabVIEW, you know who that is. Um, so, uh, once I was out there and, and, and developing a lot of code in LabVIEW, um, the company started to drift into more of an IT type uh, uh, market, not as much engineering. So I was looking for something new and I ended up getting recruited by uh, Nortel Networks. They had just bought a startup here in South Florida and they were expanding and looking for for programmers to help with their test capability. Uh, so they relocated me out here, came back to the East Coast. Um, that was in 2000. Um, 
2000, if, if some people were around to remember what happened to telecommunications around that time, it was mm-hmm. a huge run up and then a big crash. <laughs> yeah. And Nortel was one of the victims of that crash. Uh, so kind of saw what was happening there and uh, kind of decided, well, I like it here in Florida uh, and I like the work that I'm doing and having the experience from California being in an alliance member, it sort of seemed logical that, you know, this type of skill set is very portable and can be applied to all industries. Um, For sure. And so, so that's how prime test came about. Uh, we started as, as a traditional, I'll call it a traditional alliance member, uh, consulting, doing test systems, um, things like that. Yeah. And anytime we needed to do something mechanical uh, with moving parts or, or fixtures or things, we would team up with another company, uh, a local mm. company uh, called Performance Automation. We were Prime Test Corporation. Uh, eventually, we started teaming up so often, uh, it started to be reciprocal. Every time they needed something that had to do with test or inspection, programming, they would be hiring us. We would be hiring them to do mechanical things back and forth. Mm. We ended up having lunch together almost every day. And, uh, you know, finally, after a little while, we said, you know, um, it was a particular lunch meeting that we had. And uh, it was Stephen Benvenuto, who was the president of uh, Performance Automation, just kind of approached and said, uh, you know, what do you think about a merger? And uh, we all kind of agreed to, you know, reveal our financials and all that kind of stuff. And it just fit together really nicely. Um, And uh, so now we have the two sides. We have the mechanical side, traditional automation platforms, robots, conveyors, indexers. And then we have the test and measurement, inspection, auto, you know, and, and the, the more sophisticated kind of PC-based stuff. And that's what we call the special sauce. If we can get an opportunity that needs both sides, uh, because we have it all under one roof, um, we can be very competitive and we can offer a really nice integrated solution. Yeah. Uh, so that kind of leads into prime test automation. Um, so that's what we are. We're a systems integrator, machine builder, um, Our typical offerings are things like automated assembly machines, something that puts parts together, usually involving some electronics, um, fastening, uh, like ultrasonic welding or laser or uh, soldering, uh, things like that, even driving screws, you know, to assemble something with a robot. And then there's usually some type of test component. Like I said, Mm. that's that's the special sauce when you got the two together, where it's not just an assembly uh, machine, and then you've got to be taken over to an inspection machine. If they can all be put together in one, you get a lot of efficiency, you get a lot of quality, um, a lot of quality control, traceability, um, a lot of advantages there. And and so that's really the business that we that we go after is places where there's a manufacturer trying to make something, and they need to do some type of testing on it, some type of inspection, get some data. Uh, interact with databases and MESs and all that good stuff. Um, that's kind of what end we to end. focus on. End to end, exactly. Yeah, that sounds really good. A lot of complementary yeah. skills there, isn't it? It's yeah. you know, it's it's hard to just deliver one part of a system nowadays. We're finding that too. You know, we're building up a more of a turnkey test solution uh, at at Wide In. Um, just we, we just started out of software, but 
you know, that's only one part of the puzzle, one part, yeah. one piece of the puzzle. That sounds really, um, really interesting, Dan. Yeah. Um, I just have to ask back, you were saying 1995 you started LabVIEW. What version of LabVIEW was that? That was three. Yeah. Um, and then pretty soon after graduation, it was four, 4.1. Um, and then, uh, and I was, I was actually, so right after graduation, even though my company was based in Southern California, uh, I was put on contract on site in upstate New York uh, at Corning okay. uh, doing fiber optics. Um, and I had the privilege there of being just placed in an office with three other guys who were all LabVIEW programmers. And I got to learn, you know, firsthand, you know, like what the real production type software looks like. Um, uh, some people might be familiar with like names like Putnam Monroe. He's certainly been around for, for quite a while. Um, he sat right next to me. Um, I was the young guy on the team right out of school, <laughs> you know, and he was uh, kind of a mentor for all of us there. Um, but it was a great experience. That, 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 was the, that was the boom of the telecommunications industry at the time, the big fiber optic push. Yeah. Um, and they were building a brand new facility and we were still in working in these little trailers at the bottom of the hill, looking up at the new facility being built. And we're sitting here trying to design all these testers. Um, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was very, very, very good experience coming right out of there. And then version five came out and it was like, mm. Oh, now we have undo. Undo, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It revolutionized everything. <laughs> uh, by the time six one came out, I, I was already um, at Nortel, and that's when we got the event structure um, mm. and and the you know the uh, the value the value change event you know that revolutionized how you could do user interface. Uh, Absolutely, you know, RT still doesn't have that, but well, we know why. <laughs> <laughs> There's no front panel. <laughs> Well, that's the confusing confusing yeah. part too, because if you've got an embedded UI, you do you do have it. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you turn on the embedded UI switch, then you get it. Yeah. You lose a little determinism. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Dan, this has um, been really interesting. Where where does DQMH start in this journey? Tell us sure. about your introduction to DQMH and. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, the 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 history is pretty deep. Um, and through the years, when we talk about these new LabVIEW versions and new features, um, every time there was some type of new feature, I was always very interested in how can I best deploy this in, in, in the, the work that I'm doing, the, the applications I'm developing. Um, like, for example, when, when queues were introduced, that just fundamentally changed how I would write programs. Um, I started using the queued-based architectures almost immediately, um, and we didn't have frameworks back then. We, you know, we didn't have all that kind of stuff. Uh, we just kind of had to come up with ways. You know, we used to call them task lists um, before they started to be called like queued message handlers. Yeah. Um, and you know, we kind of developed that. Then when we got the event structure, it was like, okay, now what can we do with this? Well, that. That wants to be in another while loop, and then you want one while loop with a case structure. And well, that's producer consumer. 
Um, we didn't have a name for it at the time. <laughs> um, I'm sure there were, you know, that was out there, but we kind of just kind of organically came up with uh, these these mini frameworks. And all the Alliance members were doing this. Everyone had their own sort of style and sort of a library of things. Um, and all probably quite similar at the at the end of the day. All quite similar. Mm. And you'd hear that. You'd go to NI Weeks and, and, and you'd hear that, like, well, everybody's developed a test sequencer of some kind. So NI just kind of took the ball and said, well, we're going to make test executive, right? And then it became test stand. Mm. Um, and uh, I actually use test executive uh, quite a bit. Um, and then, you know, it evolved, became test stand and, and brought along with it all that capability. So we've, we've had all this experience with these different frameworks. And prior to BQMH, I would say we were using just the AMC reference design from NI, which was the asynchronous messaging, um, mm. which is just a queued message handler. That's all it really was. Yeah. Uh, it had a nice feature in that it had a, a little dispatch module that would allow you to, to send network messages. So you could do your... Your your queued messages could actually be sent over a network. You could broadcast. Oh, um, yeah. So that allowed us to do client server type stuff very very quickly. Um, so that that became kind of our go to framework for a while until Actor Framework came along. That kind of became the the new it thing um, when we had you know when when classes kind of matured and we started to get mm -hmm. that all the Actor Framework built into LabVIEW. Um, I did have the opportunity to do a couple of projects with Actor Framework. And uh, interestingly, it was for a customer who was developing an internal group of LabVIEW programmers, and they wanted a framework, kind of like a, a, a more special purpose framework for the testers that they wanted to build. They specifically wanted something that was kind of a more or less a template that their developers could take and then make testers, you know, out of that template. Yeah. Um, and we, we did one tester. So it was kind of like a, here's the example. And then I stripped all the, all the special purpose code out of that and said, okay, here's the, the bare bones framework for that. Um, mm. and that was a great experience. Um, but it illustrated the need for DQMH and here's why. Okay. When we started that project, the customer had uh, at least one or two CLAs on staff, but by the end, they had lost them, or, or you know, they they had been reshuffled to different locations, or or for whatever reason, they weren't in that right. group anymore, and they had some newer LabVIEW programmers. And when they came face to face with Actor Framework. It was a steep learning curve, mm. and and we were like excited, like okay, we're all done. Here it is. It's a framework. This is great. We've been talking to this one group the whole way, so everybody was all up to speed on it. And now there's a new group. Oh, right. It was like, well, how do we do this? <laughs> <laughs> and so that was like an eye opener for us, which is yes, after framework is very very powerful and it has great utility. Um, I still believe in it. Um, but when you're in that situation of there are people who are a little bit newer to the, to the LabVIEW universe, yeah. um, they're, they're just going to get a little, they're going to have a little bit of trouble gaining traction, at least for a little while, while they get used to it. Um, and, um, 
so DQMH kind of comes in and its stated intent is to be a, a nice springboard for developers like that to, to yeah. incorporate yeah. newer programmers and, and people who maybe aren't as familiar with all the ins and outs to just be productive very, very quickly. About what time frame are we talking at the moment? So I, I didn't actually start DQMH in earnest until about two years ago. Okay. Um, when I'm talking about this actor framework project, I think that's more in the four four years ago, mm. three and four years ago. Um, so that's kind of where this is. It's been fairly recent, um, but I actually I had the privilege of having another customer who specifically said, uh, "We have an internal team of LabVIEW developers, and we think DQMH is the way to go. We've never tried DQMH, but." From what we've seen in red, <laughs> we think this is the way to go. What do you think? And I said, hey, that sounds great. I just went through this whole actor framework thing, and it's awesome. But, yeah, I think if you've got a team that's with diverse levels of experience, DQMH seems like a good fit. So I've got to really go quick and hurry up and learn it so that I can yeah, right. I can apply it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fam- quite a common story and a common theme. Uh, five years ago, I was assessing Active Framework versus DQMH and yeah. and sort of made the thought, geez, Active Framework, it looks pretty cool. But I've got a couple of guys here that, you know, only one or two years into their LabVIEW journey and we hadn't really touched classes yet. And so we, yeah, thought DQMH is probably a good stepping stone, but we just never got past that we're still at TKMH because it seems to be able to solve a lot of our problems. Yeah, so. it, it, it really does. Yeah. It really does. And I, I think the two can play together. Um, I haven't tried that quite yet, but but it's been on my mind. Mm. Um, but yeah, that was basically the um, that was the impetus for, for jumping into there was just kind of, a, we were told, hey, um, we've got some projects coming up. We'd love them to be done in DQMH. What do you think? Uh, so I went about uh, learning it. Yeah, okay. So would you say that you're using DQMH as, as the default f- for, for all your projects, you know, new yes. projects? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. It's become the standard now. Um, and, the, yeah. and then there, there are different reasons for that. Um, so... First, I want to back up and say, like, well, how did I learn DQMH, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, of course, there, there, there are a lot of great online resources. That's one of the things that's just really attractive about the framework is that there's so much material out there and more and more all the time. Videos of Fabiola doing presentations were certainly helpful. Tom McQuillan's video series mm. was amazing, uh, really give practical uh, applications to things. Um, Sam Taggart has, he's been on here a, a couple times yes. yep. and, uh, uh, he's got uh, plenty of material out there and even, even his quick little videos where he's like, Hey, here's how you do messaging. So you don't get into dependency loops, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. Um, <laughs> and, and what I have to say solidified it for me does come back to Sam. So we're in the middle of doing all these projects. We're, we're learning DQMH, we're applying it, coming up to speed. And we have some other projects come in. And I took a look at those and said, I don't feel like I have the bandwidth personally to 
be doing this sort of initial set of work where I'm learning DQMH and, and applying it and also take on these other projects because they're kind of unrelated. I said, but I know DQMH is a good fit for this project. Mm-hmm. So I had been in contact with Fabiola um, and she had mentioned the trusted advisors. She had mentioned a uh, concept of the bench, which is the, you know, the trust advisors have access to the Slack channel called the bench where we can, we can yes. uh, announce that we have bandwidth to take on new work, or we can ask for help with when we have overflow work. Um, and so she, she mentioned that, uh, you know, that might be a good resource. And she, she listed a few uh, people that I could maybe re- reach out to. And I ended up uh, with Sam. Mm-hmm. So I, we actually did collaborate on a couple of projects. Okay, and great. what really stood out for me was now that we're all in the same framework, I can have someone outside my organization do some, if not all, of an application then hand it to me and I can do the debug on the machine and I can add features and I can take customer feedback and say, Oh, we can change this. We can modify this. And I already know how to navigate the, the, the bones of the system. Mm, mm. And I don't have to come up to speed on somebody's, you know, own homegrown architecture that, you know, has a naming convention that, uh, you know, I, I just am not familiar with or something like that. DQMH is very, it just standardizes that, that whole side. So it makes collaboration so much easier. Yeah, it definitely opens up. Yeah, Yeah, it makes us more comfortable doing that because we weren't as comfortable doing that. We have tried in the past to hire out, um, for jobs and things, but you know, what we would get back would be code that Mm. isn't as maintainable or it's just in a different style or just uses different libraries or, or, or just, you know, you burn so many hours having to dig back into it that it's like, well, why did I go outside in the first place? Um, we don't have as much of a risk there with DQMH. Yeah. Um, it, it makes it easier, doesn't it? You can just say yeah. to the, the subcontractor, um, we'd love you to help. You got to go learn DQMH first and then um, we'll get you to, you know, you, you can even just hand over one module. You know, yes. just you just yes. build me a DQMH module that talks to that database. You create the yep. database and, and give it back to me when you're done. You know, yeah. Um, and and you well, can. In, in fact, that's kind of what we did. We, we yeah. as as a form of a statement of work, um, I had just made a skeletal DQMH module to just demonstrate user interface functionality for a design review for the customer. I was able to just hand that to Sam and say. Here, fill in all the the guts of this, uh, and he was able to just run with that. Um, and in addition to, you know, there were a couple of things that Sam hadn't been exposed to, um, dealing with some very particular web services that we were using. Mm. And I was able to just say, "Well, you don't have to learn that. Here's a here's a DQMH module that just does that." Then he yeah, all yeah. he has to do is is know the requests in the broadcast, and he's got it. Uh, so we were able to do a lot of work in a very short period of time. And that's pretty much the name of the game in programming, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I, I was actually pondering this, you know, just the other day, like how, you know, it's just such a p- part of our fabric of how we go about things. And um, 
I, I think we'd either be, you know, f- far less profitable or I wouldn't have any hair left <laughs> and I'd be grey. <laughs> so, you know, it's just it's just made it so much easier in a lot of ways. I mean, like there's still a lot of detail that goes on that you still have to work out. DQMH doesn't solve every problem, but it's just provided us a, a common language, you know, to, to work with and um, that's helped. Hugely, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so, do you what? Wh- which particular? I mean, it sounds like you're using DQMH for a lot of your lab view. Wh- which which particular type of application types do you think it's best suited for at, at, at prime tests in particular? Sure. Um, one of the things that we used to really get started on it was we just said, you know what? Anytime we have a new device that we need to incorporate into a machine. So this could could be an instrument, this could be a motion controller, um, this could even be a cloud-based web service. So I I said, let's make a DQMH module for that so that it's not good enough now to just have an instrument driver. Everybody's got instrument drivers from way back, you know, where where it would uh, know the messages to send to an instrument to make it do whatever functions. But those always... Uh, you know, left me with this feeling of, I still don't quite know how to use this. It's a bunch of VIs and yeah, there's a connect and a read and a, and a settings or configure, mm-hmm. you know, and a trigger and whatever, but you always had to deal with handling some kind of connection reference within your application, storing some kind of metadata about the instrument, all this guy, you, you had to take all that on. You do this inside a DQMH module the module needs, has all that, and you've abstracted all that complexity from another programmer or your user um, or even yourself. Because you know now you've know you've got a, a module that can be tested with its own tester. Um, its API is very well defined, and it interacts with broadcasts and requests, and we know how to use those, uh, and it's great. So that that's really where we started. Yeah, okay. uh, was like. Okay, we have this motion controller. Um, typically, you, know, you break out the manual of the motion controller and you just look at the commands. You know, how do I send all these commands? How do I tell it to move to a place and tell me what position it's in, mm-hmm. how much current it's pulling, and all this stuff? Put all that in a DQH module. And it turns out it was a great thing for the company making the motion controller because we bought a whole bunch of them. Because now, once we have a DQH module for it, it's like, well, why am I going to use something else? I got this. Let's just, you know. Uh, yeah. In this case, I'll give a shout out. It's Intelligent Actuator. We're using their their Archon series, uh, and it's just been great. Um, one of the other things that's really powerful is how how easy to uh, how easy to use DQMH is across different platforms. So Windows and and RT. Mm. Uh, in this particular case, um, on Windows. This motion controller works really well as an Ethernet IP device. Okay. Um, so, and, oh, that's great. But on RT, uh, RT can't be an Ethernet IP scanner. Uh, it does. It just doesn't have. We don't have a library for that. Uh, it can be uh-huh. an adapter, but it cannot be a scanner. Uh-huh. Um, okay. On Windows, we found a .NET library that would let you do IP, uh, Ethernet IP scanner uh, activity. So that worked. 
But what you can be on a, on a compact Rio is you can be an EtherCAT master. Yes. So this Archon system, you can buy the network interface with either Ethernet IP or EtherCAT. And all the other modules say the same. So we say, okay, for, for Compact Rio, we'll just get the EtherCAT version. And what was really cool is I didn't have to change my code uh, except for the part that dealt with that Ethernet IP library. I had to put a little conditional, you know, diagram conditional structure there. So that said, well, if I'm on RT, don't do it this way. Do it the EtherCAT way. Um, but mm. the entire message structure was identical. Um, so that worked out really well. And now we have a DQMH module that can run um, on Windows or on RT and, and pick the best protocol for the platform. That's really cool. Yeah. It's, it's funny you talk about motion controller. It brings up yeah, a memory. I, I, one of my first modules was a motion controller module. <laughs> yeah. And you know, you're talking about the abstraction and everything. So I, this particular motion control module, there was, it was actually sort of a, a cheaper brand of, of motion controller. And every now and then there would be a new version of firmware that would come out with this motion controller. So there was three versions and they each had their own DLL. And oh, so yeah. the bulk of the module was talking to a DLL. So then I was able to build in a, a class abstraction, hardware abstraction layer to be able to handle whether you're talking to a, you know, version one or version two or version three, but all of that was hidden away in the module. As far as the application was concerned, it just knew there was a motion controller and you just had to, the application just had to tell the motion controller at the start, you're going to be set up as version three today. And it would then know to talk to the version three DLL and the application interface to the module much simpler, just yeah, home, <laughs> move to position X, Y, Z. It just really did talk to the power of DQMH. And, and I think it, hearing you say that as well, it just reminded me. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. It, and, and I don't know what it is about those motion controllers, but they tend to have these, these wild APIs, right? Because yeah. <laughs> uh, so we had another one come along. Uh, it was a linear motor, Linmot, uh, one of those. And they've got a pretty involved UDP protocol to talk to their drive oh, and UDP. Yeah. It was pretty Lin UDP. They have their own little, uh, name for it. Um, that turned out to be the easiest way to talk to it. I think you could do CAN bus too and, and things like that. But again, I was on a compact Rio, so I, I'm kind of limited in, in, I, I wouldn't say limited. I am, I'm trying to be uh, uh, judicious in, in what types of communications uh, infrastructure I'm deploying, right? Because, yes, I could put a CAN bus module in there, but now i got to deal with all the, the hardware implications of that. So mm. if something offers an Ethernet interface, I'm usually going to jump to that. <laughs> yeah. Because it's something that I know that if, I, if I'm having problems on my RT device, I should be able to plug in my Windows device and use maybe the utility that it ships with and talk to it. Right. So, uh, yeah, so I had to make a DQMH module for that. Um, and that was, that was pretty involved too. Um, but exactly what you're talking about, you just say, okay, I'll make a home request and I'll make a go to position request and, mm. and, and get all that complexity away from what our other programmers or users are trying to do. Um, and that, that's really, what this whole thing is about. You make a framework to simplify the interactions 
between a developer and the code, right? So it's it it just it needs to flow naturally. Um, and DQMH does just a great job of that. And I hadn't seen anything else in LabVIEW in all the years <laughs> that I've been messing around with it that that kind of checked all those boxes. Yeah. Um, that provided that structure. And then, of course, there's the tools that automate, you know, with the scripting, um, which is just great and mm. uh, keeps getting better with all the new versions. Um, you know, just allows it to be more productive. That's what it's all about. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of which, um, it's a good segue. I would, I'm curious to know if there's any ways you're extending or, or you know, what's whether there's a prime test spin to the way you're doing DQMH. Sure. So one of the things we got involved in fairly early in our DQMH journey, um, I started to see references in some of the videos and some of the talks that Fabiola would do about this test sequencer. Now, every now and then she'd mention the Delacore test sequencer, which has become the DQMH test sequencer. Um, and I did have a requirement to have a sequencer in my application. And of course, there's test stand. Everybody knows test stand. Um, but often in, in the environment that we're in, which is more of a, a manufacturing environment, not strictly a test um, or, or, or validation environment, the number of test steps is not very high. Mm. And the, the, the interactions, you know, we don't have to make a lot of dependencies about, you know, well, if this test doesn't pass, then run these three other things. And then if not, loop back. And mm. you, you typically just, you do this, you do these four other things, or you repeat this a few times, and then you're done. Yeah, um, yeah. It doesn't call for the sophistication and, uh, you know, complexity of test and. So I kept, I was seeing these references to some type of test sequencer that existed in DQMH. So I, I approached Delacore, uh, it was Delacore at the time, and, and said, okay, what is this about this test sequencer? And sure enough, Fabiola said, yeah, we have this. It's, it's kind of a, something that we license to developers, and it provides a special template and uh, DQMH modules that are actually test steps, but they have this quality that they have this class wrapper. And with the class wrapper, it enables you to consider test steps as um, it's basically a test step class. Mm -hmm. And you're going to define just the, how to configure it and then how it executes the test. As long as you've defined those things, um, the sequencer will run the test step. So you, your template is your test step that already has the class embedded in it, and you just have to go and customize the couple of VIs in there that make it application specific. And I said, "Well, that sounds very appropriate. Let's let's check that out." Yeah. So as it as it comes from uh, from the source now. Uh, from DQMH Consortium, uh, the sequencer was set up. Uh, you could, there was provision for kind of a plugin architecture to load the test steps from disk and 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 sequence them. Um, but it was kind of set up in a way that didn't really contemplate repeating test steps. It was just set up in a way that said, like, if you have three different steps, it'll run one, two, three. And yeah. it wasn't set up in a way to run one, two, 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 three, or anything like that. 
Um, so here at Primetest, we've extended that and and made it possible to use the existing configuration infrastructure that comes with the template to define arbitrary test sequences with whatever test steps you've got. So it's so it's coming a little bit closer to test stand. Still doesn't have all the um, the sophisticated interaction and you know and logic and stuff, but it just gives you that more general purpose sequencer functionality. Um, so, so I yeah I've shared that with the DKMH consortium, so it's probably coming soon that 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 will be available <laughs> as as the DKMH sequencer. Uh, well, I'll be very interested to see that. Thanks, Dan. What, <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you? You're feeding it in a CSV file or an XML file or something, saying here's the sequence of events that I want to occur. How does how does it? What's the input? So the the way that the DQMH test sequencer works is that you already have a built-in sequence editor, and the the way it kind of plays out is the parent class or the, the parent in, in this kind of test seek, test step class is the sequence itself. And then all of the children are the test steps that actually execute whatever test you're trying to, trying to perform. So the configuration for the parent test step, which is always the first thing in your sequence, um, it doesn't actually run anything like it's, it's sort of its execution code is, is nothing. But mm -hmm. its configuration is where you define exactly which steps oh, are right. in your I sequence. See. So it's, yep. so it 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 has a configuration module to it, and, the, and within that configuration module, you define your sequence. And and where we've extended it is instead of having that be a fixed list of steps, we've made it so that the configuration editor lets you add and remove and reshuffle and. Um, rename and all that kind of stuff. Your your sequence, so you define it that way. Um, so it's one of those things where the configuration interface uses a sub panel, and when you click on a step, it pulls up the configuration, uh, the you know front panel for that into the sub panel. Um, nice. Pretty standard, you know, configuration architecture. It it was just a really cool way to do it. Um, we've further extended that, and and this is kind of the next step that I'm trying to figure out how best to share this with the consortium. Um, that was very, very cool. Very, It was great. We did a Windows-based tester using the DQMH test sequencer. Uh, worked really well. Okay. Then we were faced with a real-time project. <laughs> yep. And so, okay, let's see if we can do the same thing. You can almost do the same thing. Real-time mm. has a restriction where you can't use subpanels. That's so right. Yeah. All of the configuration interface stuff had to be stripped of its subpanel nature, um, and then the the test steps themselves, the way that the sequence the sequencer would invoke the test step is it would invoke it and then bring its front panel into a a, a subpanel. You can't do that. Mm. So we had to remove all references to subpanels. So I basically had to make an RT version of the test sequencer. And then I was left with the issue of, well, that's great for the execution code, the test steps themselves, but I really like this configuration editor over here. How do I get that on the Windows side and not lose this whole construct of 
having these beautiful test sequence DQ, uh, test step DQMH modules um, kind of coming along as a unit. So we further extended that. And what I saw happening was there was a, it's a DQMH module, right? So it's just a, a LabVIEW library. Um, within the library, mm -hmm. there, there are, of course, public VIs, which are the API, the request and broadcast, and then, or the, just the requests, really. Um, and then there's private. One of the private VIs was execute test in all caps. That's where you put your test code, right? That's that yeah, was okay. the okay. Customize this. Um, well, I said, well, that needs to live on the RT side because that's where it interacts with instrumentation, it interacts mm -hmm. with data acquisition resources, all kinds of stuff. If I just simply have a copy of that module also on Windows. I'm going to pull in all those dependencies and it's going to start looking for why don't you have a data acquisition module and why don't yeah. you have a connection to this instrument, that instrument. So I said, I got to split this. Yes. So rather than having just a VI called execute test, we just created a class and said, okay, we're, we're going to make this a class an execute class. Now, it has the drawback of it can't be inside the library because if it's inside the library, then it's by definition a dependency. It's going to be on both sides. So we have to make it outside the library, but we just use with directory structure and naming conventions. We make sure it's very obvious that this travels together with the library. Yeah. Um, and what we can do there is we can have a configuration uh instance of the class and then an actually an implementation instrument uh, instance of the class so the configuration side will just have what's necessary for configuration actually we, we just make the the execute test the parent of that is kind of just devoid of all uh functional code there really isn't anything there it's just kind of a stub you just make the child the specific thing that that runs the code Yes. That has all those dependencies. And then you, then you can keep the parent on the Windows side and you can deploy the child to the RT side. And you can define it via composition when you, when, you know, when you start up. So you can just have, I just make one VI that's like, these are my, this is my list of test steps. And I just build an array of these classes and I populate the child classes on the one on RT. And I don't, I don't do that on the Windows side. I populate the parent ones uh, that don't have all those dependencies. And so that's how I was able to break the dependencies there. Um, hopefully someone can follow that. Mm. Um, this is probably uh, a, a good uh, motivation to put together some kind of presentation to talk about this. Yeah. Um, I'll be I'm there. Thinking, you know, because <laughs> uh, I have presented this to the customer that actually uses this. Um, they certainly get a kick out of it, but I think this is something awesome. the community could really use. Because you face this in a lot of situations, right? Where you, yeah, kinda, you want you want configuration on one target, but you want execution on something else. Um, mm. It keeps coming up, <laughs> and as as the systems get more and more distributed, it, it's going to happen more and more often, right? Uh, yes, yeah, and and uh, well, it's funny hearing your experiences that you know I'm sharing similar challenges and. Yeah, the whole sub panels thing. <laughs> yeah, you think you've got you've got the perfect template on yeah. Windows, and then you go, oh, but I can't use that on real time. I'm going to have to yeah. recreate it in real time. But yeah, and sometimes yeah. you don't even realize you've got a lurking sub panel 
reference until you try to build mm. it, right? Yeah. <laughs> you go, you hit that build button and you go, okay, everything's going along, going along. And then it just, no, there's a sub panel reference and you got to go find it. Yeah. Um, you, you spoke a bit earlier about how you learned DQMH. How, how are you bringing up your team in DQMH? Um, yeah. So um, the same resources um, say, you know, go watch these videos, do these things. And now, we've kind of got a library of modules. So it's very easy to sit down with, with people and just say, here's the tester. And look, when I, when I hit this button, it, it, it fires this request off and the module goes ahead and does it. And look, I can, I can hit this button and show the block diagram. Um, it just becomes, it, it, it naturally has the, you know, that ability to just show other programmers. Here's how this is all, this is all fitting together. Um, and it's been it's awesome. been amazing. Uh, you know, we have uh, we have another developer here, a certified LabVIEW developer, uh, Andy Henderson, and uh, bringing him into the the DQMH world um, has been remarkably smooth. I have to say, um, he's just taken it and run with it. Um, he's going to be running off That's a machine great. starting tomorrow that is entirely DQMH, um, reusing some modules, and then he's he's come up with some of his own too. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's it sounds it sounds like you've you've you're able to get people up to speed pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Do you see that there's some limitations to DQMH, or maybe there's some areas that are yet to be solved in terms of DQMH? Sure, things things yet to be solved. So there are a few things that have come up. And you see in discussions and in different forums mm. that keep coming up. So you've got this whole state machine thing, right? So if you if you saw the uh, was it the GLA summit where you had Norm Kirshner and yeah. uh, right and and Darren Ainger were were up there arguing, are arguing very friendly uh, about you know do you go completely stateful architecture or do you just break down the problem to the point where it's it's kind of by nature defined. Mm-hmm. Um, and I struggle with that myself. Uh, and, and I do see a need to have some kind of state machine architecture that lives in DQMH. And I've looked into, I, I did use norms architecture for some development. In fact, that actor framework project that I referred to, I based it on TLB prime because I, that made the most sense to me as far as how to approach this. But I did it in actor framework. Um, I wanted that right. concept of state. Yes. And I wanted the ability to draw a diagram and show that this state leads to that state and transitions this way in response to these triggers like <laughs> this. Um, yeah. DQMH on its own doesn't really give a lot of guidance there. I know that uh, Hempelsoft, uh, your mm-hmm. Hempel, has yep. a, a framework, a template there, using a helper loop and and doing the in, implementing the state machine that way, and I think that's excellent. I really, really like how he did that. Um, I have heard from some other developers that they're a little bit uncomfortable with the way there is a uh, event structure built into sub VI that's always running, and that just it sits strangely with some some um, LabVIEW developers. I'll put it that way. Um, 
in terms thing, of a state machine, you mean? Having, yeah, yeah, have, the yeah. state machine part. Um, I think I can get past that. I, I I really like what the work that's been done there, and I'd really want to try to understand it even deeper. Um, and I do find myself running to the state machine for certain parts of my application, hmm. um, especially you know, we're talking about machines. You got hmm. a lot of moving parts you do have to be aware of state. There are certain commands that you just can't deal with if the machine's not ready to deal with them. Uh, you know, we've got things with robots running around and, and doors opening and closing and... Um, Lots of safety things to consider. Safety things to consider, yeah. right? So if the safety circuit isn't satisfied, you don't want to, you know, service certain requests or you have to respond to them differently is really what you have to do. Mm -hmm. You have to say, no, I can't do that right now because... He's got to reset the e-stop, right? He's got to enable the safety circuit, um, and so, so that that's a very basic, you know, stateful kind of pattern. But you've also yeah. got things like, well, I'm in the middle of this operation, so I can't start dealing with the next operation because my tool is, you know, up inside some fixture somewhere, and I've got to wait for it to become available before I can send it over somewhere else. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of that. Now, what PLCs do, right, is they just rip through a whole sequence of tests. Can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? They run through their ladder, the ladder logic. Yeah. Yeah. And then and they just keep cycling through. And as soon as this logic is satisfied, they can turn on that output. That's an oversimplification, of course, but that's the basic structure of the ladder logic. Um, years ago... I was tasked with converting a program that had been written on a PLC into LabVIEW. Right. This was a tester that was a, an integrated test machine that got sh that was shipped to Mexico, and the truck that took it had a whole bunch of problems along the way. And by the time it arrived, the machine had been completely destroyed. Ooh. And so the customer said, "Well, this is terrible." But we still need this tester built <laughs> as fast as you can do it. Um, but instead of building it as an integrated system with like three different operations on one platform, let's just do them separate. Uh, but there was some logic in there that the tester needed that had been implemented in a PLC. Okay. But now we're just building it standalone. He said, okay, well, let's just take this PLC code and convert that over to LabVIEW. You can run it right here. And I was just handed a printout. Yeah. Here's a bunch of ladder logic. Oh, Okay. So I translated that into LabVIEW, and it got me thinking, like, this whole thing is a state machine. When you actually look at yeah. ladder logic and relay logic, it's a traditional, it's like a, it's an electrical engineering type state machine. Um, so I tend to do that now in my LabVIEW applications. I tend to have a little module running somewhere that I just call logic, and it deals with all the Boolean stuff. Mm. It deals with the, when this button gets pushed and the fixture is in this configuration and these sensors are in these states, then you can go ahead and fire the, the trigger to tell another module to do something. Yeah. Um, so I have that. So I have that in my head. And then I have Norm's approach, which is, uh, you know, his TLB approach, um, which deals with, you know, 
that you know you, you're expressing yourself in terms of what I am, what I'm doing at the time. Mm, mm. You know, I am waiting. I am processing. I am all the ing words, right? Yeah. Um, and then you're responding to triggers. At the same time, I have I'm working with uh, uh, well, it's Mark Bala, who has kind of taken Norm's construct and put it into DQMH in a very clever way that satisfies the 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 test the validator tool which is another huge feature of dqmh by the way I, mean, I know that's been discussed before on the podcast is the ability to just with one click run a validator tool in your module and make sure you're following all the rules yeah um, that's come very handy of late yeah. for me yeah so you know it, and so there's there's that um mark's approach uses a single really big while loop to contain all of the operations, the event handling, the message handling, and the state brain, um, all in one loop, which has some advantages, but also has some things that will make you scratch your head. Uh, <laughs> like, right. how do you deal with things being fast? It definitely has some limitations as far as loop speed and, and things mm -hmm. like that. But sometimes that doesn't matter. And in cases where that doesn't matter, and you, what does matter is that you know what state you're in and only do the things you're supposed to do transitioning into or out of that state, um, that can be fine. Um, but that, that's an area of active development. I know with a lot of people, um, mm. it's something that I'm really, really digging into because I, I, I kind of take this approach where I try this, see how well it works over here. And then I try it a different way in a different situation. And then I kind of try to take what works best from all the different approaches and see if I can combine something and, and really make it work. Um, and I have to admit, I have not been the best at being able to share all my stuff because, you know, all of these uh, non-disclosure agreements that we have to sign all the yeah. time. Yeah. Um, but I, I think I've found um, ways of asking for permission to share things more recently. And I, and I really want to get some things out there. Um, and that's why I'm excited about the trusted advisor program because I think I see I see that as a vehicle. Um, mm. I really want to confess that I've been doing this a very long time. I've been to so many NI weeks. I've been to so many. I've seen so many webcasts and podcasts and everything. And I feel like I haven't given enough back to the community, and I want I want to change that. So <laughs> this is my this is my outreach right now. I'm trying yeah. to uh, start sharing more. Yeah. Uh, I, I share with our customers, of course, um, all the time, and I and I really advocate for using LabVIEW for what it's meant to be used for, and, and it's quite a quite a few situations. And I really encourage mm. people to get into it, uh, but I think the community does need um, just. I mean, there, there are so many great resources out there, but the more the merrier, right? I mean, we need yeah. we need everybody. Uh, so. Um, I really do want to start sharing more. And that that's something that DQMH needs. It just needs more people using it and sharing tools that use it. Yeah. Um, and things like that. Uh, yeah, well, other than uh, that, you know, anything else would just be nitpicky things. <laughs> <laughs> and th those are great for when we talk amongst ourselves and we talk about what to put in the next version, we can put little things in there, right? <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, as, as an architecture, uh, you know, some some standardized way of dealing with this whole state machine question um, would really be useful. 
Mm, it's isn't it funny how like you know software started b- back in the you know back in the sixties and seventies was that's a state machine was all you could do, and now here we are going how do we how do we get <laughs> state machines right? You know? Yeah, <clears throat> it's sort of going around in a circle a bit there, but um, we've, we've yeah, well, had and, similar and challenges. Anytime you have this. You have a messaging architecture. I mean, it's essentially what DQMH is, and it's what Fab always says, that this is just a queued state, a queued message handler. That's what it is, mm-hmm. right? It's a QMH. Um, message handlers have to handle any message that comes to them. That's the rule. Um, that's how they That's how they work. Stuff. Yeah. You know, those re- you can't stop requests. They're going to happen, right? <laughs> and yeah. broadcasts are going to happen, and you're going to be registered for them. Um, so you... You do have to have something in there that handles that has to sit kind of in between somewhere to to make that decision of, well, just because this request comes in, do I always do the same thing or do I have to do one thing when I'm in a particular Mm -hmm. state and something else from a different state? And it it does make sense. Um, And I know I know there are tools out there that will like automatically generate diagrams. I think that's awesome. Um, I need to actually talk to Jurg about how to uh, get access to some of that. Um, you know, I, I, I understand yeah. that's a more commercial uh, type product, um, <laughs> but I see a lot of value in that. I think that's fine. Um, you know, that anything like that, I mean, you look at Antidoc, right? You, that'll diagram your whole project for you. Yeah. And document it. That's very powerful, um, isn't it? That's, that's huge. I'm a huge fan of that. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if you like saw that. it. Did you catch Olivier's glint, um, little seven-minute segment at GLA Summit? Uh, the latest little feature he's looking at where he's it, he's got a tool that's tracing all the events that are going yeah. back and forth. Yeah. Um, that's a game changer. That's I love amazing. That. And then you, you put it in, the, in that web page and it gives you a nice pretty picture of mm. all the messages. Oh, that was really, really cool. Yeah, a, yeah. a sequence diagram. It's, yeah. Yeah. I can't wait we for need, that. <laughs> we need all those things, you know. We, yeah. we unfortunately, as LabVIEW programmers, we tend to have this like inferiority complex for with with programmers from other languages, right? That they say, "Oh, we're the real programmers." It's like, but what do you have that we don't have? We have all these tools, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and we can look how fast we can develop these really sophisticated systems that don't just that's right push ones and yeah. zeros around. They actually move things in the real world, you know. Well, Dan, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. We are going to wrap it up now. Uh, I just wanted to say it's been a pleasure talking to you and I could just sit here and listen for another hour or more. Um, Yeah, I I sort of forgot that I was hosting. I was just sitting there absorbed in what you were saying. So, yeah, really appreciate it and um, looking forward to seeing, hearing more about the test sequencer and the state machine stuff in the coming year. Excellent. Yeah. And uh, we're really excited to, to bring that out there and keep the community really vibrant. This has been awesome. Can't wait to do it again. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Thanks. Thanks for being on the podcast, Dan. Have a good day. Thank you.